Ahoy. Just want to send a quick shout out to listener Anonymous for leaving a five-star review of the show. They said, Jacob's hunger for marketing and creativity come through in every episode. Each of his podcasts and smart guests have specific tips anyone can use to boost their marketing's impact. Much appreciated, Anonymous. Only affirms our mission why we started in the first place. And if you're listening to this right now, why not leave a review yourself and help grow the show with us by subscribing or reviewing The Daily Marketer. And if you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, it'll automatically enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's a breeze that takes 10 seconds and it means a lot. All right. Thanks. Enjoy. Ladies and gents, welcome to The Daily Marketer. How you doing? This is your weekly dose of growth marketing knowledge for the everyday founder or startup marketer. Season two, we're doing something a little different. We thought, let's bring people on and let's understand their growth marketing journeys. Or let's bring people on who are subject matter experts in a subsector of marketing. For example, people who are who have helped grown companies from zero to a million in revenue, or maybe zero to a million in monthly active users, or people who are subject matter experts in branding, affiliate marketing, programmatic job ads, you name it. We brought them on and we dug into their brain like a little bug. And then we pulled that out and here we go. This is stuff that you can use to grow your company research that you can do. So for this episode, we thought, let's bring on Trevor McGraw. Who is Trevor? Trevor is a senior director and one of the founding members of AppCast, the pioneer in, well, one of the pioneers in paper apply programmatic advertising. If you don't know what that is, you will find out very soon. AppCast has legitimately changed how leading employers, recruiting firms, ad agencies, and job sites attract high quality job seekers through AppCast Exchange, their flagship product, and ClickCast, which is a software. I, I call it the, it's a, the control center for all of your paid job postings. It's super cool. ClickCast is actually used by leading recruiting agencies across the country like Recruitix, Bayard, and HireClicks. Trevor uh, has a pretty interesting journey. He went from being a paralegal, one of the largest law firms in the world, case scholar, to being the first sales rep at AppCast where he cut his teeth and earned badges as a high-performing salesman. His repeated success led to rising roles within the company, ultimately landing him to where he is now as a senior director of gig economy AppCast clients. Trevor holds a bachelor's in philosophy, economics, and political theory from Connecticut College. This conversation was, I, I tried to find the best word I could, academic, you know, uh, Trevor has a talent at breaking down and simplifying complex topics like programmatic job ads into digestible pieces that a founder or first time marketer can really understand. We dive deep into what programmatic job ads really are, who should be considering programmatic job ads as a viable marketing channel, how to get good at leveraging programmatic job ads, and a lot more including company culture and how a founder actually influences the attitude and personality that a startup embodies. If you had to ask me, who is this episode valuable for? I would say two people. 
two kinds of people. One, founders who want to consider recruitment marketing for, say, a marketplace that has both buyers and sellers. Or two, marketers who want a blueprint for smart marketing, testing, and customer acquisition, something really essential for any internet-based company or app-based company. All that said, if you like what you hear in this episode, please, if you wouldn't mind, hit the subscribe button. And if you really enjoyed this episode, share with a friend. I'd be flattered if you did that. This helps us tremendously in our growth. For every person who does sign up, I'm also throwing in something special. Uh, We're going to be holding a raffle for a $100 Amazon gift card that we're going to announce every other week. So make sure you smash that button so we can get you into that raffle. All right. Well, enjoy this chat with Trevor McGraw. Hey, Trevor. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I know we we partnered together uh, at work. And given Adcast being such a great company, uh, you guys being an innovative company in the world of digital marketing and growth marketing, I really was excited to get you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's been a pleasure working with you uh, professionally and also a pleasure. And I get to know you um, a little bit outside of work as well. And uh, yeah, super, super excited to chat with you today. Agreed. So I thought we'd start off in a little bit of an unconventional way. Uh, So did you plan to do law originally as a career? Uh, because I saw that you worked at, it, it was a K Scholar. That was, a, it was a, kind of like one of the biggest law firms in the world, right? Before you worked at AppCast. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So uh, I went to college and basically took the path of least resistance, which, which meant I ended up with a philosophy degree. Um, and then I was thinking, well, what the hell do you do with a philosophy degree? Oh, I guess I guess you go to law school. And I said, oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. So I said, oh, I'll go be a lawyer. But but first, uh, I want to work in the industry and make sure I don't don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. And so I I went and got a job at at K Scholler, which is yeah one of the uh, and M Law One Hundred firm, one of the biggest firms in the world, and mm. uh, did that for three years. And and I'm very thankful that I made that decision because. Turns out I really don't like law, uh, <laughs> and and so that would have been uh, had I gone straight to law school, that would have been a very uh, costly mistake, I think. And how did you end up working there in the first place? Why case scholar? Yeah, uh, I applied to oh dozens, if not more, of the biggest firms in, in New York. Um, I just wanted to get a job at a prestigious law firm. And so I just applied all over the place. And uh, they were where I ended up uh, because they they, t- they took me in for an interview and they liked me. <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing special beyond that. What'd you do there? I was a paralegal, which uh, for the most part means that it, am I allowed to swear on this at all? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So for the most part, it means you, you do bitch work. Um, mm-hmm. So a whole lot of making photocopies and uh, binding materials, but also some really, really exciting stuff called document review, where um, when you're in a, a big corporate action, I was, I was going to say lawsuit, but not necessarily always a lawsuit, but whenever there's mm-hmm. a disagreement between corporations, one of the, one of the things that they do is they ask you to produce relevant documents mm-hmm. one of the strategies like proof these, or or um, as kind of documentation of the whole journey so they'll they'll be like hey we want any material that mentions um let's say you're having a disagreement about uh, a patent 
about, um, just to use a, a real world example without any details, a, a patent about a light bulb. Um, so they'll say, give us every piece of paper that you have, every document, both real and digital, that mentions light bulbs. And so, so then what the, uh, the side that has to produce the documents will do is they'll provide millions of, of pages of documentation and they'll, they'll actually over supply information intentionally, like including a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't really matter just to make it really, really painful for the other side to sort mm. through it all and find the stuff that um, may or may not be damning. Yeah. And so somebody has to actually review all of that. And so usually it falls to first year lawyers and paralegals and it's, mm the the most miserable thing in the world you you sit in a conference room with typically no windows for like 12 hours at a time with with a box of pizza and you just stare at a screen and you're like irrelevant irrelevant hmm. irrelevant irrelevant oh this one matters great and then you tag it yeah so did a lot of that huh sounds like it takes being well one great speed reading skills uh, and then two being really present with it so you don't go on autopilot right yeah, and it takes uh, tremendous patience as well. Yeah, yeah. So how'd you end up in, in marketing then? Yeah, it's uh, another another wonderful tale. Um, I really, really hated working at the law firm, and so I was kind of reaching out to various friends and acquaintances, saying like, "Hey, man, I I got to get out of New York City, and I got to get out of law. Anybody know anything?" Um, and so my my friend Tyler Dudney called me up and he said, Hey, you know, uh, I'm kind of starting this company with uh, a couple other folks and we need somebody to come up and be uh, sales. And I was like, well, I've never sold a thing in my life. And he goes, that's okay. Um, you're smart. You can figure it out. Just, just come on up and do the interviews. And if you like what we're doing, then why don't you come work for us? Hmm. And so I came up and, um, and I met with Chris Foreman, who you've, you've met. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know Chris Foreman, he's the uh, CEO and founder of AppCast and a super smart, a uh, little bit eccentric guy, um, but but really interesting. So I, I came up and interviewed with him and, and a couple of the other uh, you know, uh, originators of the idea of AppCast. And mm -hmm. I just really liked what their, their approach was to the industry, which an industry, recruitment advertising, recruitment marketing, I had no experience in, but it, just, yeah. it sounded like a really good idea. And I said, you know what? Sure. All... I'll take a chance on this. So I, I left New York City. And you were uh, 26, 26, 25? Yeah. So I guess I was 26. Yeah. You've done your homework. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm 26 years old. I'm leaving the uh, biggest city in, in America. And mm -hmm. I moved to a town of 2,000 people to work at a company with five other people. And I'm not even sure if there'll be enough money to pay me in two months. Uh, so it was, it was a big leap, but I was, I was just very, very eager to get out of, uh, out of New York and out of, out of law. Mm. Um, and so, so from there, uh, when you work at a company that's six people, um, you have a title and maybe that title is sales, but that that's not what you do. You just do whatever mm -hmm. you guys need to do to keep the lights on. And so um, very quickly I got involved on the, product side a little bit and on the customer fulfillment and success side and on partnerships and they just wore a lot of hats and got exposed to a lot of different things and and from there the the job progressed and uh and yeah and that's how i got involved in uh marketing recruitment marketing yeah 
That's a good story. I, I, I had the the failing version of that story. I, I was with you. I was like, you know, I want to, I was very intentional about wanting to get into marketing, but not knowing how to do it. And one of the, the main ways that I thought at that point to, to make it happen was to do advertising. So go work for like an ad agency, you know, and there's a lot of boutique agencies out there. So when I worked at a couple, you know, I worked at one or two in Australia. I lived there for a year and worked at one back here. Both times working on a small team, it's either, I've noticed, a total win or a complete disaster, you know, because if, if you don't, there could be one destructive person in that group of people or maybe the style or the culture of those six people doesn't vibe with your, with your style and culture, your personality, and then it all just kind of falls apart. Uh, I had that. It was that two or three times in a row, you know? Oh, man, that's tough. So, so, so it sounds like you, you had a killer experience. It, it was good. Although, um, I, I wouldn't say that it was without turmoil there. And I'm, I'm not going to name any names, but there, there were, um, as the company started to grow from being six people to being like 20 people, yeah. um, we had to hire folks that were unknown entities. And we, we actually made some, uh, some mistakes in hiring along the way. And, um, yeah, we fortunately identified that pretty early and and got rid of some folks. But um, but I totally know what you mean. You get one person that comes in and they're they've got that toxic personality, or they yeah. just they've got some other motive, you know, whatever right. it is, and they can they can derail everything. Uh, oh yeah, so Amen. I totally know what you mean. But uh, that's interesting. I I never knew that you lived in Australia. I did. I know you live there too. Uh, New Zealand, New Zealand, New Zealand, yeah. Canterbury. Yeah. South yeah, Island, yeah, yeah. right? South Island, yeah, in yeah. Uh, Christchurch. I, I left right before the the big earthquake there, so um, that was that was fortunate to to not be there for that. But uh, yeah, that part of the world is awesome. Friendly people, oh, yeah. beautiful women. Um, oh yeah, yeah, good. It's good times. It's so cool. <laughs> I love that. I love Australia. I I had gotten it mixed up with in Australia. There's the city Canberra. You heard of Canberra? Oh Canberra? yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. sounds very similar to Canterbury. And so, so when I saw it online, I was like, "Oh, cool! We'll talk about Australia." Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I did go to I did go to New Zealand, and uh, you know, w- when you're in Australia, it's like being next to Canada. I, I didn't know New Zealand people <laughs> are going to hate me saying that, you know, but it's it's a little bit like you can't help but to go there and like interact with the people and make comparisons between the two because they're 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 they're, they're cousins, you know. Dude, you just made four million enemies in one <laughs> sentence. <laughs> that was incredible. Um, yeah, they've got such a chip on their shoulder about oh, Australia. Man. Yeah, but like the Australians, they're like, "Oh, New Zealand." I don't really. That's that's a cute country. That's fine. I don't yeah. really care about them. They're like, it's it's such a one way uh, rivalry. It's hilarious. Yeah, bit of a tangent, but did you, did you? So you were there for a year or six months? Uh, eight months. Yeah, just under eight months. a year. Yeah. So, so, so I heard culturally, New Zealand is actually different than Australia in that New Zealand has this concept of uh, poppies. Like, if you imagine a field of poppies, poppies are like big, uh, kind of look, look like wheat fields um, with the ball on top. And um, there's, you know, it's it, a, a great poppy field is a uniform, same level poppy field. Okay, just go with me on this. I'm with you. I'm with you so okay. far. All right. And uh, but there will be poppies that, you know, grow higher 
than the rest of the poppies and they really stand out, you know? So you got to always cut the tall poppies, you know, like it's, it's, it's about the, the uniformity. It's about the, in some way, the conformity It's about everyone being the same and not really wanting to stand out. And there's other cultures that are a lot like this, like, uh, like Japan is a strong, uh, team group oriented culture. Norway is Norway and Sweden are, are two other ones. They're very much like that. Um, so, so the analogy is, you know, don't try to stand out too much because you don't want to be a tall poppy. Like you want to blend in because that's actually the right thing to do. You know, did you get a sense of that when you're there? Yeah. I, you know, um, I have a story that, that could actually lend to that a little bit. So oh, hell yeah. the, uh, the first week that we're in Christchurch, you know, it's like you get there, you do some orientation, you have class for the week and Friday night hits and we're like, awesome. Like me and my group of American friends, like, let's go out and let's pardon Christchurch. It's going to be great. And so, you know, we go out and just immediately we, we don't look like everybody else. Like I know we're all mm. Anglo-Saxon looking folks, but just the way we dressed was a little, little bit different. The way yeah. we acted, we were a little, little loud, a little boisterous, whatever. And um, yeah, I, I think every single bar that we we went into, somebody tried to fight us. Hmm. Um, the the first bar that we went into, we were like hanging out, drinking our beers. We went outside to have a, a cigarette. Um, and and don't take this by the way that New Zealanders are mean because they're not. But <laughs> we're we're out there and and we're smoking our cigarette, and some some dude follows us out, and he's just like, hey there's gonna be a fight and we're like oh cool where and he's like right here and we're like oh shit and so we're like and he was he was he was a big dude so we're yeah. like mm, let's book it so we just all we all booked it and yeah. like everywhere we went for the first week people just wanted to wanted to fight us at mm. bars and it, it was the craziest thing and um by the end of it we we noticed that that didn't happen so maybe we without consciously making a decision started to uh, assimilate and acclimate yeah. to the, the kiwi way of life um, there, there you go yeah but i i, I do i do want to say for the most part folks are very nice in new zealand but um christchurch and i'm about to make a lot of enemies christchurch is the exception um people there are are not nearly as nice as they are in the rest of hmm. the country <laughs> and, and, and why not uh that's a great question i think it's probably because they're um you know how people from New York think that like New York is, is the best. Like, yeah. Yep. Or like people from, from the city, like whatever the city is, they're like, I it's think the place. The best. We, yeah. we've got it's, the best water, the best restaurants, the, the best women. Well, it's very ethnocentric. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Christchurch is, is like, they're the ones that think they're the best. Hmm. Whereas the rest of New Zealand is kind of like, Oh yeah, we're, we're good. You know, it's all good. We do our thing. Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess we're not going to have any Christchurch listeners on this podcast. I, I can, I can write them off. Uh, sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Ladies and gentlemen, you can, and then you can avoid it pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and I actually googled poppy field, and uh, I'm completely wrong of what they look like. They they look like a giant field of tulips or or, or roses, uh, more, more 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 like tulips red tulips so uh i always think about poppy seeds so i i I imagine poppy seeds grow like like kind of like a dandelion um where you can like blow it into the wind you know um but but i guess i'm i'm wrong there um (laughs) they're they're quite nice looking though i just googled them as well they are nice (laughs) yeah cool very cool uh well well, that was actually my follow-up question is what influence studying in new zealand have on your career in life oh man um that's a that's an interesting question. 
I would love to say that uh, New Zealand was super, super impactful for me professionally, but um, like any any junior in college, I was really just there to try to have a good time. Uh, so I didn't didn't do a lot of focusing on on academics while we were there. Um, we discovered that the the schooling systems are pretty easy, and also um, for some reason there was some policy where they would inflate our grades by um, I think how much was it like ten points when they transferred back to the United mm-hmm. States because the United States is like they understand that we have grade inflation. So they're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, if you get a C in New Zealand, we'll bump that up to a B. Yeah. And so we took full advantage of that and and spent a lot of time. Oh, actually, I'm talking myself into a way that this impacted me. Um, so we spent a lot of time going mountain biking and hiking and um, and surfing and even skiing, um, which is amazing that you can do all of those things there, like basically in the same season. Um, but anyways, so spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and that was, that really stuck with me and I really enjoyed kind of being exposed to the outdoors like that. And so in terms of how it impacted me professionally, um, I think that that was one of the touchstones that I had when I was trying to make my decision about whether I wanted to stay in New York or move up to rural New Hampshire and and take this big Mm. gamble on a, on a startup. And I just realized how unhappy I was in New York in comparison to kind of when I was exposed or, or able to access all of those outdoor activities. And so hmm. that was one of the things that, that gave me the confidence to say, you know what, I can make this life choice. And even if the job or the company doesn't work out, I'll be in a place where I'm, I'm able to be happy. Um, yeah. I know that wasn't maybe a direct answer, but no, that was uh, a great answer. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so, so did you find that marketing was something that, that you were Un, unbeknownst to be interested in and develop more interesting because you, you've you've been involved in it. and I know it's we'll talk about what Abcast is and how it's a programmatic job advertising you know but has it been something that has kept you around and there's a lot to learn about it what's what's kept you in marketing yeah great question um, I, I really do like being in the, in the marketing space and um, I'm, I'm a fairly inquisitive and experimental person. Um, and so, so what I find really engaging about marketing is like there, there's, there's a right answer to a lot of things, but, um, maybe nobody's ever found it yet. And so the way that you get closer to finding that right answer is by trying new things and then measuring the data and then trying other new things and measuring the data and then comparing the data and seeing which thing worked best. And then just iterating on that. Okay, I found a better way. Let's iterate. I found a better way. Let's iterate. And so um, it's it's the kind of the idea that you have to always innovate and iterate and experiment to to get closer and closer to this kind of theoretical right answer. Um, Mm. But you're never going to get to that right answer. There's always always something else you can try and do. And so so that that's really engaging and and kind of speaks to my personality. In some way, it's it's philosophical, you know, asking a lot of questions, you know, seeking perspectives from other people, and you know, d- different different angles on things, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It's 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 definitely uh, philosophical. The the definition of of uh, philosophy is the pursuit of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. And so, marketing is is kind of a, a combination between that soft pursuit and that kind of scientific method pursuit, and and that's that's great 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Question that I have here is is and I, I don't know it's it's a new question I'm trying to mix in is is so based on working in this industry for so long and and learning so many things in some way becoming a subject matter expert in programmatic job advertising so 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 what's your marketing thesis if you do have one? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, yeah, I I I don't know that I have a. A marketing thesis, but I, I do tend to um, take a fairly systematic approach to uh, job advertising. And I, I think I, I sort of just described it. It's, it's really like I have to check my ego at the door every day and assume that I, I don't know the best way to do things and come in and be like, okay, let's, let's collaborate. You've got some ideas. I've got some ideas. Let's create some, some ads based on what we think we know. And then let's multiply it by two or by three or by four and just throw it all at the wall. And then, and then let's measure the results of that and, and let's see what, what sticks. And then let's take the bit that sticks and iterate on that and throw it at the wall and, and see what sticks again. And so it, it really is this process of, of kind of um, experiments, measure, uh, iterate, repeat. And, it, and it's all got to be grounded in data. And that that's the big that's the big thing there. It's it's marketing doesn't exist without without measuring things. If you can't measure things, then you might as well not do it because you, you just you don't know if you're being effective or if you're making good changes or bad changes. So it's it's all all rooted in data. That's so true. Yeah, when I when I worked at the few different ad agencies, there was such a lack of focus on data, and and maybe that was there's been such a turning point and heavy focus on marketing and data now when I feel like you know even only five years ago six years ago it was only starting to shift in that direction and it always frustrated me I was like you know if we don't know how to make the decision why don't we let the data tell us you know and then if we didn't have the data I'd be like oh we gotta start collecting that data you know like that's it's kind of like one reason why I take a lot of notes because it's like I'm logging data into my brain so then we could reference it later, you know? Yeah, I love that you do that because um, I'm not always the best note taker, which kind of goes counter to my whole thesis. But um, in working with you, you'll be like, oh, Trevor, on on two weeks ago, we decided that today we were going to look at this. So let's look at this. I'm like, yep, we did decide that. Um, and so like, I, I love that you, you're so uh, meticulous with the note taking like that. Oh. Thanks. It's a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing in, in that we can really keep us on track. It's a curse as in I, I can become the project manager of everything. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. I can see that. Uh, with a, a, an example of the data being key, even just a, a, a notes way, is the first, the, the second ad agency I worked at in Australia, uh, I won't mention their name, but uh, they, we they had a they had a new business client meeting with, uh, I think it was called uh, Skybus, and it was like one of the main bus systems. It was it was a private bus system that would drive between Melbourne to the airport, and you know everyone had to had to ride it. There wasn't any sort of subway that took you straight to the airport there, and they were going to release this new double decker bus, and uh, they were really pumped about it because you know there's this this like sexiness around double-decker bus. It kind of has that experience part of it. And it was all around concepts of promoting the bus before 
they release the bus, you know? And so the ad agency, they presented three different concepts and the whole time I'm, I'm taking notes and uh, the meeting was an hour long. You know, the client said, I want to do, you know, number two, let's do the second idea. And then a week later, they're having a FOP meeting and an hour before they go, oh my God, like which one did they pick? You know, like no one had taken notes. No one ex- except me, you know? And I go, but I was, I was only the intern, you know? So oh, I was like, boy. I was like, hey, they, they, they really like this. You know, although they, they appreciate all three ideas, they really liked idea number two. But they didn't want to take me seriously because they were like, oh, it's just the intern. Like, what if he's wrong? What does he know? (laughs) Right. What does he know? And and it was was a a tough environment because there's a lot of egos at play. And they thought, no, 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 no. I swear it was number one. Like, I swear they thought number one. Like, Jacob, I know you have it in your notes. It's number two. It's got to, we got to go with number one. And then they they go to the client with number one. And the client is like, no, I said number two. Like, why are... (laughs) Why are you? Why'd you expand on number one? Like now we got to have another meeting. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, so that's like, so embarrassing. It was it was it, it was embarrassing, and it was a great case example in data. Like you got to have data for marketing. You know that's the only way you're going to know it's working. Absolutely. Um, as a as a as a non sequitur or a kind of a sidebar here was the idea to parallel double decker buses to Harry Potter and the night bus because that's what they should have done. They should have done that. <laughs> yeah, they should put. Oh, that's a great idea. Put beds on the bus because you know what? If you came from a different country, you're probably really tired. You're on a different time zone, and you probably just want to lay down, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that or put a bar on that bus because you know if you're in an airport or around an airport you can drink anytime you want that's the rule yeah you might as well keep on drinking when you get it back when you get on the bus you know (laughs) exactly (laughs) uh okay well aside from that tangent i I, let's 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 talk a little bit more about appcast uh and we'll start off with what influence has chris foreman had on who you are today uh or maybe some decisions you've made professionally yeah, that that's a great question. So, um, really, really easy to answer how he's impacted me kind of personally and in my my business persona. Um, I might have this earlier, but one of the things I I try to do every day is is really check my ego at the door. Um, and Chris Foreman is is really where that whole thing came from for me. Um, when you work at a law firm with a bunch of lawyers, every lawyer wants to be the the big swinging dick in the room. Yeah. They all think it's my way or the highway. Right. Um, Chris Foreman is the exact opposite of that. He he's probably the smartest guy in the room in in most rooms, um, but but he holds a, a weekly meeting, company wide, and one of the things that he'll do in that meeting is he'll he'll admit when he makes mistakes in front of the entire company. He'll say, you know what? Um, I thought we should do this and we did it and I was wrong. And and the impact of this bad decision is X, Y, and Z. Um, so what I'm doing now is, you know, I'm asking Tom or Leah or, you know, whomever, what, what could we be doing instead of this? Or how could we do this better? Or what should we have done instead? Um, and he just is like, totally, totally fine to admit that he's wrong and then take advice to improve. Because for him, he realized early on in his career, being, being in control is great. But if, if you can't admit that you've made a wrong decision, or if you can't get help from other people, you're going to lead the company or the project astray. And so it's a lot better to just, to just 
take one on the chin, say I, f- I fucked up and, and go and fix it. Um, that's a lot more productive. And so, um, yeah, he's, he's been pretty, pretty influential in, in that regard. So it's a meeting specifically around mistakes. It's like the mistakes meeting. Oh no, that's not the whole meeting. Okay. Uh, I mean, we, we cover lots of things. It's basically like a, like a weekly company-wide meeting just to talk about the, it's like the state of the union. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that is a recurring theme is when he makes this like really, I see. Um, a really big mistake or even a smaller mistake, he'll just, he'll fess up to it. Yeah. Um, which is, which is pretty cool. I love that. Yeah. And that is, yeah, that is so opposite from many industries and companies that it seems if they, they think if they share the mistake that they're being weak or that they, they look like they don't know what they're doing. And then they think, Oh, there's no way I can share that information. You know, like that's, that's gonna be bad for morale or like people aren't going to be able to trust me with the same thing or something more important in the future, you know, and then just leads them to not, not sharing it. Right. Like that, almost double down. Like it, right. some people will just double down on their mistake. Um, right. I, have a, I actually have a, a story, a better story that is maybe where Chris Foreman learned the, the whole modesty thing. This is, this is really fascinating. So one of the other uh, co-founders of, of Start Date Labs, which is the incubator that started AppCast. So we'll say one of the other founders of AppCast was a gentleman named Tim, Tim McKegney. Um, Tim McKegney was the CEO of um, Ayers. I believe I might have gotten the company wrong, but anyways, one of the one of the companies that uh, Chris used to work for. So Tim McKegney hired Chris Foreman to come in and run the sales organization. A couple months in, McKegney realized that Chris Foreman would just be a better CEO and that Tim would be a better sales leader. Hmm. And so Tim McKegney literally went to Foreman and said, "Hey." How would you like to change jobs? Like, I, I don't think that I'm cut out to be the CEO as well as you are. I think you could lead this company better. And I think that I can sell better than you. So why don't we just switch jobs? And that's going to be better for the whole company. And so like these two really high-powered dudes who both theoretically could have really, really big egos about like, oh, I'm the CEO, I'm the sales leader, and they could have butt heads about it and all this stuff, like sat down and made a strategic decision to switch jobs, which is something that I've like never heard of. I've, like I've never heard of a CEO um, intentionally abdicating, so to speak. And hmm. that decision ended up being a really, really good decision because they went on to sell that company to ADP and, and made a whole bunch of money because of um, the sales that Tim McKegney drove and the leadership that Chris Foreman brought to the table. Hmm. And so that, that story has always stuck with me. Oh man, that's a, that's a great story. Uh, yeah, the, the the humility uh, and humbleness, and as you develop in your careers, is so key. It's really a, it's a mindful thing, you know. Like if you if you're not taking the pause to go, is this the right thing to do? You're like, you know, is this the best thing we could be doing? I I feel like it stems from the, how can we be the best that we can be, and are we making the best decisions to do that right? So you're gonna you're gonna in some way thrash with yourself. Got to thrash. Got, <laughs> got to thrash. <laughs> Love that word thrash. Uh, yeah. I I also like uh, I like it when someone starts a company and they go, you know, I, I'm not the CEO. Like I'm not I'm not meant to be it. You know, like Google is a great example of Sergey Brin and Larry Page got was this an Eric Schmidt. Uh, he was the CEO of Google for I don't know, it was like ten years. I listened to the guy talking on a podcast. 
That's so bright, you know, like such a great decision to have him come in. But I think there's a lot of companies where the founders would think, hell no, am I going to put someone else? Like I'm the guy, you know? Uh, I had the idea. It's my idea. So I run the company. (laughs) Right. But that's not always the best decision, right? God, no. Yeah. Like if you're a really good ideas guy, maybe you should work in product. Like, yeah be the chief of product. That's a great job. Or like, maybe you understand the operations aspect, but you don't have any experience with business or finance or like PR. Like being a CEO is a a really uh, challenging job. Like personally, I would never want to be the CEO of a company. I just, I'm not cut out for that. Like (laughs) there's, there's, well, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know if I agree with that. I could. I could see you being a CEO of a company, but 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 but, but, Thanks, but I I think the basis of the decisions is let's let's get smarter people than me in doing the thing that they're really smart at, right? Absolutely. And that takes that humbleness. Okay. Well, well, let's let's yeah. I want to talk about let's talk about AppCast for, for everyone on the show who does not know what AppCast is or will not Google it. So so what is AppCast? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So uh, we are a technology company that is uh, exclusively focused on recruitment advertising or recruitment marketing. Uh, we have a whole bunch of different products, but the the general gist is that we we create programmatic job advertising technologies. Our our core product is a solution called the AppCast Exchange. And so essentially, what we did was we went out and found all of the places where you can advertise jobs online. Hmm. Big job boards, small job boards, aggregators, niche sites, geographically specific sites, industry specific sites, you name it. We went out, we found these folks, uh, we made relationships with them and integrated them all into our our technology. We then wrote another piece of technology that essentially looks at a job ad that one of our clients would give us and it and it categorizes that job. So it says, you know, where is the job? What what you know, what's the industry, what's the skill set, what's the function of this job. And then and then really all it's doing is based on the data that we have about the job and the data that we have about the advertisers that we've got relationships with, we take that job and we send it to all of the, the advertisers that have the right kind of an audience. So essentially we're using data and technology to get job ads in front of the right types of people. Hmm. Okay. That's the, the general gist. And there's a whole whole programmatic element and a whole uh, kind of uh, data analytics element to it. But I, I, I want to keep it short and simple for today's conversation, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very cool. I, I, I think the best quick analogy I can make is uh, programmatic display. Uh, it's it's uh, so programmatic display for anyone who doesn't know is uh, so, so there's display ads in a newspaper, right? It says, like, you know, someone promoting their their cobble, uh, shoe cobbler business. And then think of online, there's display ads on across, you know, websites, CNN and ESPN and, and, and so forth. And then programmatic display is based on tar- targeting audience factors. Like, you know, someone's into, into, into soccer. Uh, someone often goes to nike.com and, and looks at sh- soccer shoes and, uh, if 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 you're trying to sell, if you're Adidas and you're trying to sell your new soccer cleats, uh, if a platform can figure out where those people are going and that they're going to Nike to get this, we well, you know what posting it on Nike.com if they let you is a great place to post that Adidas ad, and uh, you know 
appeal to them. So it's ads in the right place at the right time, um, appealing to people with those specific interests and all that happening automatically. So it's, but it's that in the vein of job searching and job recruiting. Is that a good yeah, way to put that, it? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, and to uh, provide a, a, a negative example, it's like if you're looking for insurance agents, you shouldn't put that job on New Hampshire truck drivers wanted.com because there's, there's right. not insurance agents there. So exactly. you should put it on insurance agents seattle.com. Yeah. Those are two made up sites, but but it's it's right. that idea of getting the right jobs in front of the right people on the right sites at the right yeah. time. So who is the audience uh, of AppCast? Not who's the audience that sees the ads, who's the audience of the clients that you have? So AppCast is a really, really broad um, network that we have in terms of who the advertisers are. We've got thousands of, of advertiser relationships. And because of that, our, our software is very, very job agnostic. So we can, we can do a, a really good job advertising almost every type of job under the sun from entry level um, warehouse and, and logistics all the way up to, you know, uh, senior manager for a, a data analytics company. The really the only place where you may not find AdCast to be super successful is, is you know, we're not going to find a CEO for the most part. Um, we're not going to find a doctor. But that's because those are the types of folks that just really don't look for jobs online. They're they're being headhunted or mm-hmm. um, going and applying to companies specifically because they heard, oh, the CEO of Boeing stepping down or something like that. Um, is it startups that are circa 10 people big or is it corporations that are 10,000 people big? Ah, yeah, that's a good question. So um, the core... The core of our business is Fortune 2000 companies. Mm-hmm. So it's typically really large organizations that have um, kind of recruiting functions in-house. Um, that's, that's definitely the largest part of our business. But there's also a couple of other verticals. Um, a lot of, or actually most of the major uh, job ad agencies in the United States are, are using our software. Um, not necessarily the AppCast Exchange. We've got a couple other product lines. Um, so we've got the staffing and staffing agencies and, and uh, recruitment ad agencies, RPOs. Um, and then we've also got this, this really healthy uh, business sector, which is um, the on-demand or, or gig or, or 1099 space. Um, we work with all of the major uh, 1099 companies out there. I won't name any names, but um, you can kind of imagine who those, mm-hmm. those folks might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so in one sense, you've got the quote-unquote, "Quote unquote startups," although they're all really big now. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, you've got the very, very well-established corporations. And then on the the third side, you've got the kind of wholesale buyers, like job boards and ad agencies and staffing firms. Hey, sexy ladies and gentlemen, that was part one to our two-part conversation with our guest. Arguably, the second half is actually better than the first, so I suggest you go and listen to that. Also, before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To give you a little background to why those two, it's because both have a material effect in growing the ranking of the show in podcast categories through the iTunes podcast ranking system, similar to how Google Search ranks and organizes top sites for a specific search. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. 
scroll to the bottom of the show and hit add review. 10 words, 10 seconds, very easy. You'll be entered into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money, y'all. You got to love that. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be freaking amazing. Thank you. Take care and good night.